To get cable TV service hooked up, you need a set-top box, you know, the thing you point your remote at. But here's the rub. You just can't buy your average set-top box at Best Buy. Many cable companies require customers to lease them, which can tack on an extra 10 to $20 to monthly cable bills. In response, the Federal Communications Commission is out to free the set-top box market and announced a proposal last week that would allow cable and satellite subscribers to pick the devices they use to watch TV. Here to help us make sense of the proposal is Cecilia Kang. She She's a technology policy reporter at the New York Times. Cecilia joins us by telephone. Cecilia, thank you for joining us. Hi, Kojo. Cecilia, what is the FCC proposing? So the FCC is proposing a rule that would allow third-party set-top box makers. So your your Roku's, TiVo's, your Chromecast, um, Google, that is, or Amazon's of the world, to be your one box, your one device to access any any television content, be it cable, satellite, or streaming video. So no longer will you have to. You can continue to if you want to, but you don't have to necessarily rent a cable box from your cable supplier. You can, you can get all of that programming through a different provider of, of a different box. How has the pricing for set-top boxes provided by the cable company or the satellite provider, how has the pricing for those boxes changed over time? And how long have those set-top boxes been in regular use? You know, the set-top box has been in regular use since cable became sort of a mainstay in American homes since about the 90s. And the price, according to the FCC, a study that they cite from the Consumer Federation um, of America, is that the the price of set-top box leases have increased 185% since around the 90s, the mid-90s. And they they cite that increase in leasing price because they say that, you know, it sort of defies the the logic and the gravity of of other tech prices, which which tend to go down. But leasing prices for set-top box has gone up, which is a a problem in their eyes. How have cable companies been getting away with such a tight hold on set-top boxes? Well, the thing about cable companies, once you subscribe to their services, you they are in control of the programming, and they're, controlling, they're in control of how you access the programming. And they don't necessarily have to give their programs the, the sort of the lineup of, of channels and programs that they offer to anyone else, so they therefore can essentially require that you rent directly from them. And, you know, there are examples of cable companies working with some of these third-party device makers like Roku um, to make their programming more available, but they really have what, which is what the FCC would describe as sort of a walled garden. They have a, a lot of control over your entire experience as a consumer, what you can access and how you access it. So once you subscribe to cable or satellite, they essentially say, okay, well, the next step is to access any of this. You have to rent for $10 to $20 a month. Here is your, depending on how many um, TVs you have in your home, here is your rental charge, and here's, you know, and when we set it up, we're going to bring a device that we give you, that we control. I'd like to hear from you. Give us a call at 800-433-8850. Do you lease a set-top cable box? How much do you pay for it 
per month. 800-433-8850. You can send email to kojo at wamu.org. Shoot us a tweet at Kojo Show or go to our website, kojoshow.org. Join the conversation there. Joining us now is Bill Harlow. He's a hardware and software technician for Macs and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting. You know him as a regular computer guy. Like the other computer guy, John Gilroy and computer gal Allison Druin, Bill will be joining us from time to time on Tech Tuesday to discuss matters like this. Bill, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me again. There are a growing number of people bypassing the set-top box and instead instead opting for smart set-top boxes. How do they differ, and is their popularity the real reason why the FCC wants to free up the set-top box market? Well, there are so many. There are different types, right? So you've got your classic cable set-top box, which is how you watch live TV, um, and you can get alternatives to that. Like I have a uh, I have a TiVo, and uh, in order to an Apple TV, yep. But in order for TiVo to work with my existing uh, uh, cable package, I need to install a cable card in the back and connect it that way, and mm. I have to lease that cable card. It's less than a set-top box. Um, oh. The, the um, program guide comes from TiVo, and there's a cost to that. So it's actually more expensive for me to use an alternative that I like better than just to lease a cable box. But then you mentioned you've got an Apple TV. Right. And I think the boxes like those, I mean, the TiVo is neat, but I don't think they're selling a ton of those. Things like the Roku, the Apple TV, they're cheap. Um, they're a great way to access things like Hulu or, or, or Netflix Absolutely. or Amazon Video. Um, but it's not, it doesn't really integrate with live TV, and that's kind of where exactly. a lot of this is coming to a head, I think. You are still a cable subscriber, but I know you want to cut the cord and move exclusively to digital, ent- ent- mm-hmm. digital entertainment options. If this proposal were approved, would that entice you to stick with cable? It might, um, because it might allow me to have live TV on the boxes I prefer to use. The, 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 for me, personally, the biggest sticking point with cable boxes is I just think the interfaces are awful, and I think they're really slow, and I don't like using them, which is why I spent the money on something premium like a TiVo, or in the case of uh, my uh, downstairs uh, when I remodeled, um, I actually took my old PC parts and essentially made my own cable box. <laughs> 800 Did you essentially make your own cable box? Do you have a smart setup box? Has it improved your, your entertainment experience? 800-433-8850. We're talking with Bill Harlow. He's a hardware and software technician for Max and PCs at Mid-Atlantic Consulting. Celia Kang is a technology reporter for the New York Times. Cecilia, um, what implications does the FCPC proposal have for the cable industry and for cable subscribers? Well, this could potentially really um, have some some broad ripple effects across the industry. I do want to make one point very clear, though. If you were with this proposal, you would still have to be a cable or satellite subscriber yes. to get a lot of the content that is available on live TV, as, as Bill says. You, it, this is not sort of a free a free gateway into getting suddenly ESPN, you know, um, if, you're, if, if you just have a Roku, for example. You still it's, have to pay for the bundle or package that you're going to be getting. Exactly. But the what, pro- what? chairman of the FCC estimates that prices, however, for the rental of set-top devices from the cable or satellite companies rose 185% over 20 years, even as prices for smartphones and other electronics plunged. Yes, that's right. So definitely from the FCC's perspective, their motivation is to try to lower prices for consumers to access the content that they want online. They want you to be able to do all this with one box. So like right now, I'm a cable subscriber as well as a a streaming, a smart TV streaming subscriber. So I have two boxes. I have a Roku and I have my own cable box, my 
telecom providers box. Um, so you can do it one. What this could do, what how this can sort of speed up or or really change things from the consumer perspective is that once you see a blending of content online, with the, especially with it, the, the interface looks different so that you no longer – so say you have a, a Chromecast or Roku, and suddenly they present your cable lineup very differently, that it looks more like apps than it does the hundreds and hundreds of channels that you have to scroll through, scroll through with your remote control. You might find, actually, that, you know what, maybe it's not worth paying the X amount, the $100 I do a month for cable or sub- satellite subscriptions because I, I don't really find that I'm getting what I need um, or I find like I'm getting that I'm getting enough without that. So in this blending of the interface, the, the way that, that the content and the programming is presented, I think will have a really big effect on how consumers behave and the choices they make down the road. And the way in answer to your question, um, Kojo, about how this is the effect, will affect the cable industry is they are very concerned about a few things. They spend billions of dollars a year, the cable industry, for the right to broadcast programs, um, and they strike relationships and contracts with the media companies, the ABCs, the NBCs, the ESPNs of the world, to for the right to, to show their content online. And the idea that suddenly a Google or Amazon or Roku will be able to get, give there get access to programming, of course, again, to cable and satellite subscribers, but then potentially to place ads against programs, maybe on the home screen or otherwise, and then also the potential to to really shake up the lineup. Um, again, these cable and programmer and media companies, they, in their contracts, put a lot of care and attention to even the number channel that you're, that, that a program ends up on. So the MSNBC next to CNN on channel 33 and 34, these are all things in these contracts. What this proposal by the FCC does is allow these third-party, these third-party device makers potentially to completely blow up that model so that Maybe your screen looks more like an iPhone. It looks more like your your home screen for TV. It looks it feels more like navigating apps or searching for things. And so, from a consumer perspective, that could be really interesting and fantastic. Actually, from a cable and satellite company's perspective, they're thinking this is really disrupted to a very, very lucrative and important contract sort of tradition that we've had for a long time, and it can really have effects on their business. Well, we got a tweet from someone who says, I haven't leased a set-top box from Comcast for years. I have a cable card installed in my TiVo. No rental fee on the cards. Well, I want uh, I want what he's having then because, uh, I, like I said, it costs me a few bucks a month. Not much, but a few. And, Cecilia, tell us what the process or the procedure is going to be from here. What do you expect to happen when the FCC's commissioners vote on the proposal on February 18th? Before that time, they're going to be hearing a lot from the cable industry and the competitors to the cable industry who would stand to benefit from this. Certainly. So the lobbying machine is, is well-oiled <laughs> and running right now um, you, from both sides. You're seeing a lot, of, um, a lot of noise, if you will, on the benefits or, or the, the, the real cries of concern, um, depending on what the perspective is. So for the next three weeks, the commissioners, the five commissioners of the FCC will deliberate and think about different, um, different aspects of this. And on February 18th, they'll vote on whether they will go forward with this proposal. This is not a final vote on the rules itself. But the FCC, um, which is a majority Democrat commission at this point, three Democrats and two Republicans, 
the FCC um, chairman, who is a Democrat, would not bring this forward if he didn't think he had the three votes, I would think. So this will probably be um, a proposal that is approved as far as the, the process getting underway. And then I would imagine that they would try to get this done over the next few months very quickly um, because this is sort of one of these things where, especially with, with um, the, a change of administration happening later this year, the FCC would want to put forth only proposals they would like to get actually done before before a change of administration and when Washington completely turns over. On to the phones. Here's Don in Arlington, Virginia. Don, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yes, thank you for taking my call, Kojo. Just as I uh, turned on the radio, I was leaving with six digital adapters from Verizon, and I'm, I've cut that, and I've, I've canceled out my subscription and my bill, as I hold it in my hands, is $180.70, and that included uh, the Fios bundle, TV, um, Internet, digital voice, for, and the rental of um, seven uh, digital adapters, and each adapter was seven ninety nine a month. And that bill, just for the rental of the adapters, it's fifty five ninety three. Wow! So I told them I'm bringing them back, and that in, uh, and I hope uh, the FCC's proposal goes through because I think um, uh, the price is astronomical, and it, and it does. They try to make it uh, a little bit easier for you to return these adapters, but um, I like to do things in person, so I'm going to have to go out to the Verizon out there in Fair Oaks Mall to return these things. Well, before you head out the door, listen to this email we got from a listener in Kensington. Friends of mine have cut the cord, but going to their house is no fun. They have a computer with a big monitor and a keyboard. Every time <laughs> one show is over, you have to get the keyboard out and wade through the choices on Netflix, Netflix, which has no content left, or the feeble over-the-air content. There is no guide like Verizon provides. They're already buying a landline and Internet from Verizon. For an extra $20 a month, they could add cable, but they won't out of principle. I don't think it's worth it. Would you know, this is a really interesting transition moment. I, the, one of the reasons why the FCC took this up is they do see more people transitioning to, to streaming. And they see, but this, this proposal is, is, is an acknowledgement of a transition, really, in technology and the way that we access media, but also gives you the choice. You can continue to be a Fios subscriber if you want to. That's just fine. And you can continue to be a Fios subscriber and maybe even get that Fios content through a third-party device, not necessarily through Verizon. And I think that's what the FCC is trying to do. The, what they want you to also be able to do is a lot of people just don't like that interface having to, I mean, this could be in some ways the end of the channel in that they don't like the idea of having to, you know, for me personally, it's difficult for me to have to scroll through hundreds of channels and remember what, what, what channel was, you know. <laughs> what channel was I watching before? Yeah, yeah, same yeah. for me, exactly. Cecilia. Exactly. And so the idea of what the FCC ideally, whether this will happen or not, we'll see, but what they would ideally like you to do is once you turn on your TV, say, okay, I'm in the mood to watch um, whatever, Titanic. And I want to see, you know, where it's offered and where it's being, well, that it would be free everywhere because it's old. That's a bad example. But say like, you know, a more recent movie like Re Revenant. I want to see where it's available, how much it costs on different sorts of platforms, how much it costs video on demand over cable, how much the cost over Apple TV. And then you can just search that and then choose right away the lowest cost. They want that kind of experience for consumers. They want you to have more discovery, more capability as a consumer to have control over your experience and not make it so 
so so sort of um, fussy and and difficult to use your whole user interface. Bill, how are you hoping, Bill, that the FCC commissioners will vote? Well, I'm in favor of this personally, so I would like to see this happen too. Uh, Cecilia is describing a lot of what I would like to see, and I get glimpses of that because she's right. This is a transitional uh, period. Um, a friend of mine has the TiVo Romeo, which is one of the newer boxes, and you get you almost get that experience. You can do a global search, and it doesn't really matter whether you're looking on Netflix or on uh, over-the-air TV. You, you can find it, and you can set it to record, and something clean like that is ideal, I think. Email from Steve says, when I was a kid, my mom nearly freaked out with fear my dad would be hauled off to jail for hooking up an, ex- an extension phone in our tiny apartment. There was no <laughs> real use for it. It was actually hidden in the cabinet below the original phone, but only the phone company owned phones, and it was illegal to hook up an extension. The cable companies are headed towards a sort of business model comeuppance. That's the thinking of the chairman of the FCC, Tom Wheeler, isn't it, Cecilia? That is. You know, this is... that, that this this particular um, listener is sort of after my own heart. This is a real policy comparison. FCC um, chairman compared this to what's known as the Carter phone rule, which is when when the, um, when the federal government basically told AT&T, you have to allow third-party devices onto your phone. You don't have to rent that black phone that everybody had. Um, and that opened up the, the, and you know, the FCC points back to that as a real opening of innovation so that, that, um, that answering machines and other kinds of device fax machines, all these new innovations in the phone era bloomed. And they hope that this will be the same case for the cable industry. The cable industry would say that's not a perfect analogy. And one thing that I do want to mention is that sure. the, the, it's important to think about the motivation of some of these third-party um, device makers as well. You know, if you're Google, for example, you're in the business of collecting data. You're in the business of collecting data about users, and their viewing habits are very valuable. So the idea that, you know, for Google to want to have access to your viewing habits because they eventually want it, they want to sell more targeted ads, is is an important motivation. The cable industry would say that at this point, they're subject to rules that don't allow them to collect the kind of data that a tech company can at this point. And the FCC has told me that this is one of the things that's under consideration in this proposal is to consider whether um, those same those same rules or restrictions that the cable industry has to um, has to abide by should be applied to third-party device makers. So privacy, I think, and data collection is an interesting fold in this. We're almost out of time, but we got a tweet from someone from Mark who says, "Life sports is the Achilles heel of cord cutting," and another uh, tweet from someone who says. Super Bowl is next Sunday. Can't get that via Hulu, Netflix, or Apple TV. I guess that's one of the problems. Sports is why I still have cable. With with not cutting the cord. Sports is why you have cable. That is right. Cecilia Kang, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Kojo. Cecilia is a technology policy reporter at the New York Times. Bill Harlow, thank you for joining us. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be hearing a lot more from Bill in the future on all kinds of technology topics that will help you make sense of your life in the Washington region, as well as from his colleagues, Alison Druin and John Gilroy. We're looking forward to connecting with them all in new and exciting ways. We think you're going to enjoy it, too. Bill, again, thank you for joining us. Always a pleasure. And thank you all for listening. I'm Kojo Nandi.
Thanks for listening to the Kojo Namdi Show. And if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at WAMU.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.